Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 121. Today is Monday, July 29th. We are in those hot, hot New York summer days where we all kind of suffer collectively and suffer together. God, it is hot outside. But we persist. We carry on. Today's episode was recorded in the Lower East Side at the restaurant and coffee house Copitiam. It was recorded there because my guest is a chef and part owner of Copitiam. It is a Malaysian restaurant and Malaysian coffee house. I've been to Malaysia twice. It's a place I quite love and a place that has really, really wonderful food. After recording today, uh, Leslie and I were able to sample many things, some of which were, uh, which were not on the menu. So thank you so much to Kyo because we ate really well. It was amazing. And I suggest that all of you go visit Copitiam in the Lower East Side. You can go to the show notes for this episode, as always, and you'll find links to the social media accounts for both Kyo and the restaurant. And through those, you can find the address and all that good stuff. Go there. It is incredible. The only, I think, mm, I, I had Malaysian at the Queen's Night Market, but the only other like brick and mortar type place that I went to was in Bay Ridge. I think I mentioned that in this episode at a place called Noyonya. And that was really, really good too. But this was something special today. Oh my God, what did we eat? We had... Kaya toast, which was incredible. We had coconut sticky rice, aloxa, which wasn't on the menu and was just pure fire. Whew. Super, super hot and amazing. We had chicken wings. We had an oyster omelet. I feel like there was something else. We had coffee, obviously. We had the white coffee, which was incredible. Was there something else? I don't know. Tons of food, really amazing. Go check them out. She's got a great story as well. Um, I'm happy that she opened up and shared some personal stuff. Hopefully it will inspire you or move you or at the very least entertain you. That's why we do that here at, that's why we do this here at TV TV Industries. Anyway, if you want to support the podcast, that would be amazing. You can do so by going to Patreon. It's patreon.com slash the voyages of Tim Vetter. It's a subscription-based service where you can give monthly, 50 cents, a dollar, $5, $500, whatever it is that you can give to keep these stories coming, the education, the entertainment, whatever it is that you get out of this podcast. This was a really cool one. Um, Kyo is a James Beard semifinalist, was chef of the year for Eater. The restaurant's got positive press in the New York Times. It's really blowing up. Um, and you know, rightfully so a really great place and a really great person. So please enjoy this episode. Yeah, so first of all, again, Kyo, thank you. It's a real pleasure to be able to sit down with you. Uh, this is a really cool treat for me. <laughs> so what I was saying was um, I've got a little bit of experience in Malaysia. I spent a little time in KL, and I spent a little time in Kuching. Uh, KL is on peninsular Malaysia. Kuching is on the Borneo landmass. Both have different cultures from each other, different uh, food, and each of those places has a blending of cultures. Mm -hmm. So when I look outside and I see Kopitiam has traditional Malaysian food on the sign, uh, what is traditional Malaysian food? Well, traditional, how, you know, like a lot of people would say, um, you know, when, when people claim themselves to be authentic places, you know, it's a similar thing to how people claim themselves to be traditionals. Like here, traditionally, uh, I would say Kopitiams offer uh, things that has been going on for at least a few generations, or I would say like many decades that people be eating the way that it was. It's like nothing too fancy. It's just like whatever that you had in Malaysia. I'm, I'm sure that you have 
been I'm not but if you have gone to to KL you probably didn't didn't gone to so much of the the Kopitiams because in KL most of the places are very modern and you don't really you probably don't have the chance to experience like you know the sit downs locals mm. cafe Kopitiams is what we call coffee shops in Malaysia Kopi means coffee Tiams yeah. means shops and um, in, in, in KL unless you're going to like the, the suburban area then you probably will find one or two of them but most of the places is already filled up with a very very um, modern coffee house and you don't see much of the Kopitiams anymore but in Kuching probably you experience that because yeah. a lot of like the street things and people have been sitting out on the street and then they have like the same kind of teacups and plastic squares or and and, and uh, all this is bowls probably similar from whatever that you have. Um, so yeah, so it's 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 very different. Well, I would say like we have the most diverse ethnic uh, city in in Malaysia. So we were just speaking also about like um, Baba Nyonya cuisine and culture. Mm-hmm. Is it fair to say also like what defines uh, something as Malaysian depends on the specific region and then the specific like ethnic makeup of the people in that region. Mm, well, um, well, because for Malaysia, <laughs> even though it's a very small country, but if you really have to go deep in it, and um, is for instance, Malaysia and Singapore, there's only like a border. <laughs> mm-hmm. But sometimes some people would be like, "Oh, this is like a Singaporean food." And Malaysia says, "No, this is a Malaysian food." But you know, but to 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 Malaysian and Singaporeans, pretty much we are like siblings, <laughs> or or it may be cousins. Yeah. But because back then, before you know, before um, Singapore uh, declared for independence, they were uh, they were part of Malaysia. Oh, so it's more like uh, Anne Strain's cousins. Uh-huh. <laughs> and now that they are like getting a little bit better. So, you know, back then, it was more obvious back then, you know, like when people claim to be like, what is like the um, Singaporeans and what is the um, the Malaysian food? It's just, you know, you can't really describe by how, how like by mouth, you know, like people, when people say, oh, Malaysia, is this like more like a Thai food? Is it more like a Vietnamese food? Or or is it like, a, 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 you know, like what type of food is that? You know, yes, yeah, so we are from the Southeast Asia. So it, like people assuming that it probably sour, spicy and, you know, and then and then it could be sweet. But Malaysia is the best way to describe the food and describe people over there. We are saying that it's a mixture or the first mixture or the first fusions cuisine that exceeded in the middle of everything around us. Yeah, I mean, that was the impression I got, especially from KL, where I was like, wow, there's a little bit of Indian, there's a little bit of Chinese, there's a little bit of Thai. You were mentioning earlier, like, uh, during uh, the age of exploration, right, we call it, like, the, mm-hmm. in the history books, which was really like the age of imperialism. But, um, like, uh, Ming Dynasty China, people settled in what is currently today Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that uh, Noyonya uh, settlement was in, like, Penang in, in Malaysia. Yeah, uh, okay, so that's pretty spot on with maybe what I thought. Uh, the first time I ever had Malaysian food was actually in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I was living in Bay Ridge. So that like 8th Avenue, what they call Chinatown, is sort of Bay Ridge, sort of Sunset Park. Um, but there's two restaurants under the same ownership called Noyonya. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I didn't even realize like that was also like a specific uh, type of cuisine and culture. Um, well, usually in Malaysia... Initially, a couple of years ago, people don't claim to be like, this is like a specific Nonya groups, but only when Nonyas is getting less. But like I said, Malaysia is a good country, but we do have a very complicated or different politics mm. background. So a lot of people, they don't, they don't really receive as much or the right privilege or, or treatment. You know, not 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 everybody received that. You know, even though that we realized that this is a very good country, it could be a second Dubai because we have a lot of minerals and everything's from from that little small country. But like I said, you know, in politics wise, um, not everybody received the same kind of treatment. So people are trying to you know see whatever stand for. For instance, like Nyonyas, because in the sixties we were claim you know they we were. 
you know, the, the politician was saying that we were the aliens. We should not share the same kind of treatments and privilege like the Malays. So some of the Babanyonyas trying to trying to keep what they have, so they marry Malay and convert to Muslim to make it things easy. So like if you go online, some people will say, oh, so it's like the Chinese who migrated to Southeast Asia and then marry the local Malay that turns to be a Nyonya. But no, you can go to talk to some, uh, like a very, like the older generations of Nyonya, some of them would tell you that no, like I have no Malay blood. Like for my, for my family, we have no Malay blood. Wow. Mm. Yeah, that's something where I think mm. that um, if people think that issues of nationality and um, ethnicity and things like that are uniquely American. It's, it's certainly, it's at the forefront right now in America with all the, whoa, with all the southern border stuff that we see all the time in the news. But yeah, it's something that I learned a lot about traveling through Asia. Because there's been so much blending of cultures, there's then that issue of like, okay, uh, we're purely, you know, we're purely Malaysian. We're purely Vietnamese. And so we're going to treat you better than people who are, are mixed or something like that. Um, it's no longer a thing. I think like a couple of years ago when DNA were able to tell you that what, how many percentage of other ethnicity you might carry. I remember the one time I was talking to one of my friends and she was like, like, none of you guys can actually claim that you guys were 100% Chinese because <laughs> I have 99%. 90, can you imagine? She's like, 99% Chinese. I was like, oh, how's that possible? Right. She's a Fujianese. And she was like, she did a DNA test and then because her family were from like a very deep uh, and then all the families was like she was like oh the only one percent is like the Mongolian or something maybe because of like back then they were like you know the conquer and all that that happens but she's like the 99 percent and then she's like her friend who looks very Chinese even more Chinese than her she was she was 30 percent Askenazi <laughs> like, imagine how cool is that and then she was like oh I, how I wish I was excited to trying to find my ethnicities and all that I'll say oh like if I have to go through all that probably I only have like 30 percent of, of of Chinese, you know, uh, in me. But like for, like I said, like uh, my family, for generations we've been doing like arranged marriage because, you know, not only like the, uh, the royal family bloodline, you don't want to marry your cousins and all that. So yeah, that, that was part of it. Wow. So were you, are you from Penang? Yes, I was born and raised in Penang. Uh, how many years did you spend there? How many years did I spend there? <laughs> How many years did you okay. live there? So I was born and raised there. Um, I moved out of Penang when I was 17. Okay. So I moved from, from around 17, so I moved to KL. And lived in KL for about five years. No, not, not close to five years, but um, yeah, so I, I moved to to um, United States when I was when I just turned 21. I'm going to put a pin in that because I'm going to come back to that. But mm-hmm. um, who taught you how to cook? Well, <laughs> So, um, bab for bab, well, in cooking wise, people will, if you go to Malaysia and people mentioned about Nonya food, they was like, oh, like Nonya people, you know, like they have a very specific kind of things. Uh-huh. Um, so, for a very, I, I was born and raised in a very strict Baba Nyonya's family background. Like everything's just very different. Like I said, you know, like Baba Nyonya's, they were the descendants from the empire and then everything said they receive all the knowledge is pretty much whatever they were trained since they were in the, the, uh, the you know, the, the palace. So it's like, you know, so you know, can you imagine, it's like our tables is like this long, like, but my grandmother would sit right in the middle mm. and then followed by the, the, the daughters and then the, the daughters-in-laws and the men sit all the way to the back. Whoa. Yes, it's like, you know, and then when you're doing like the discussions or uh, uh, Chinese New Year's celebrations and like women sit, they, can, they, they play with themselves and then the men, they all sit with themselves, you know. So like men doesn't really carry that much of power. And then like for, for, for dinner-wise, it's the same thing. So everything's reserved like a very small, like delicate place. It's like how, how, how the, you know, if you read back to the, 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 the Chinese, uh, you know, king and queens, how they... How they receive like you know the little small bites and all that it's yeah. just like by pieces you know you don't really have like a full meal full meal kind of thing it's very elegant um so the women and you know since i said since i said the nyonyas have more power than the babas babas refer to men okay refers to women and um kitchens has become the main things the main focus the kitchens and also household were the main focus yeah so since i was seventh 
I was already trained in the kitchens. I hated them. I grown up not really, I, I did not go to any professional culinary school. I was already in the kitchen one of seven. Wow. By force. <laughs> because I was born and raised as the eldest in the family. Oh, okay. I do not follow my mother's last name because my mother is the youngest daughter in her family. Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> okay, so um, I think most people think back on their childhood and fondly upon like a specific type of meal. Mm-hmm. Um, this is maybe going to sound kind of lame because we're around like all this like very flavorful, flavorful, uh, amazing stuff here. But like when I think about my childhood, I remember like my dad making like Saturday pancakes, right? Like it was a thing that we did. Uh, when you think back on your childhood, is there a specific meal that uh, you have fond memories of, or like your sort of like home comfort food? Yeah, everything in coffee yeah. <laughs> okay. basically is my home comfort food. Oh, cool. Um, for instance, like the kaya butter toast, you know, when people uh-huh. talk about, um, two days ago I was at this, the night market and there were there were three, there were actually two Singaporeans, uh, food store and also one Malaysian. And the, the Queen's one, Market? The, the Queen's oh, Market. Okay, so cool. I went there and then it's so funny that I was standing right in front of the, I was standing right in front of uh, the, the, Malay, the, the, the Malaysians one, it's called Malaysian Project. And um, they were from, they were originally from KL. And then, and then what happened was um, they, they sell kayatos. And I was standing right there and then my fiance was like, oh baby, look, they, they sell kayatos. And then I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I know. I heard of that. And then, um, so I, while I was standing there and then there's another girl right next to me, she is, she, she, I think she was from here because she's white. Okay. <laughs> and then she, she, she's trying to explain to her another friend. She'll say, oh, so kaya is you know, made from the eggs and pandan and also, uh, and also the, uh, um, the coconut milk and palm sugars. And she was explaining, I'll say, oh, that's great. Like, she, you know, some people know about that. And then she'll say, oh, so she learned about that from Kopitiam. Yeah. Oh. Like, oh, I was standing there, you know, and I was like, oh, okay. But I didn't, but it was, it was, it was, it makes me feel very happy because you know people finally know what kaya was. Yeah. Because even though if right now you go to Malaysia, unless you, when you, like I would say maybe I'm not sure about kaya right now that much, but when you're in Kuching, probably you had the kaya toast. And I, I, in Kuching, I also had it in Singapore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's funny because I think people could easily overlook it because if you're just looking at pictures, it looks like buttered toast or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you're like, ah, eh, well, I don't want that. But it's awesome. <laughs> Some, I, I, I love the reactions about uh, when I first introduced the Kaya. I even name I have a corgi. I even name him Kaya too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was making a Kaya toast, and some people called. She said, "Oh, that we have a puppy for adopt um, to to adopt. Would you like to come pick him up?" And then when I was making a Kaya jam, and then that's when I pick him up. So he's Kaya. That's awesome. He looks like a toast anyway. So <laughs> I also um, had it at like the Singapore airport with peanut butter in it too. I don't know if you. Well, I mean, basically Kaya, you can put anything. Okay. Uh, so the history of Kaya. Let me bring you back then. Um, it's very specific. So, um, you know, since the uh, Southeast, like the, the street Chinese coming, so a lot of them were from Hainan as well. Okay. So Hainanese people, they have, they have, uh, um, you know, and also like when British came in and then one time there's like a, like a, a, a thing going on and it was served in, um, in, a, in a ship and the, the cook were Hainanese, right? And then they learned the, the baking things from the British to make like toast. And then they're trying to make something like to impress the, the British. Really? They were serving the ship and then they came up with the Kaya Jam. That makes sense because you think of like British tea and stuff like that. It goes perfectly. Like, whoa. So yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a thing that just, you know, and then ended up that, that started from then and since then become a thing. You know, like you want to. Wow. Cook. So this is the history of Kaya. So like, even for our toast right here, uh, the toast were special, was, was specially was specially made, especially ordered from a bakery that that I know. They were made the, the toast exactly like how the Hainanese uh, toast was supposed to be, which is a little bit chewy. It's crunchy yeah. on the outside when you when you toasted it, but when you chew it, it's a little bit bouncy and chewy. That is the very specific kinds of Hainanese bread. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
there's all right. There's something that's sort of like ubiquitously Malaysian, right? Um, I've traveled a lot, and it's sort of like the thing that people relate to me through. So, like, you know, at work or whatever. Oh, better, where'd you go now? Like, and and so one of the things people always ask me is, um, like, what's, what's the best thing you've ever eaten around the world? And that's it's freaking impossible to answer, right? Mm-hmm. But if I have to give like one dish that I think sort of has so many things going on in it. I say nasi lemak. And mm-hmm. I think probably people who've had Malaysian food like at least know of that name. Um, without giving away any maybe of your trade secrets here and recipes, like what goes into a good nasi lemak? Like what makes it so good? Love. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. Well, actually, Baba Nyonya foods is very simple. I mean, it takes, it's very time consuming, you know? Like when I, like I said, I, I did not go to any culinary school. So whatever I learned is, 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 is a lot of like my, from my, from my, uh, from my family is, is more of my childhood memory. So, um, well, if you say kaya, in our language, kaya means rich. Ooh. Yeah. Rich in flavor or like rich, rich? Just rich, rich. Okay. Like it could be rich in, it's just rich. Okay. Rich, rich or anything. It's just, it's just exact translation says kaya is rich. Rich toast, okay. Yeah. So it's like maybe they're trying to describe the kaya as in like, it's rich in flavor. Yeah. And then, or it makes you feel like, oh, you know. I, I love the, uh, that's what we call it, the kaya face. And uh, I... I had the, uh, I, I remember one time I was like talking to someone that was sitting here and then this guy was like sitting across me and because he is my friend's friend. So when I, would have, I, would have, I had a conversation with my friends and I put a kaya right in front of them and they were like, oh, like we, we ate, like we were fine. And then to him, he just looked, it was just regular toast. Like he doesn't even know. Yeah. And the next thing is that maybe when sometimes you put a food right there for a little bit and then he was like, okay, fine, I'll just bite it. And then he bite the next thing. He was like, whoa, what is this? And then his face just turned because he was quiet all day. And then he started talking. Oh, that's awesome. And then I was like, oh, I love that's the kaya's face. And yeah, so it's, you can imagine the base of the ingredient is very simple. Like, you know, people will ask me, you know, what are they? I'll say, oh, it's just eggs. It's an egg, palm sugars, uh, coconut milk, and pandan leaves. That's it. You know, whatever makes this very rich is that the, the time that you spend in there, mm. you know, it's so specific that you, you can't really miss it. So it, for Baba Nunez philosophy or Baba Nunez cooking, it's so different. It's like everything's about, you know... Uh, Gordon Ramsay went to Malaysia and then he described that Malaysian cooking is more like you see and you touch it. Not exactly like 10 grams and all anything. Mm-hmm. Every touch is different. But you need to connect your soul to your food. Then you can tell, you know, like you have to understand all the natural, the, the original characters of the, the ingredients before you use them. Like, you know, you have to see, you know, I- I- even though it's just a chili, but you can make so many things out of a chili. You can yeah. bring out the more character. You know, it's just not just chili. Same thing, kaya. It's very, very, very simple ingredients. Even for the nasi lemak, the nasi lemak we serve it here is so different from any other restaurants that you can find in the city. We don't have proteins on the side besides eggs. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people will say, oh, this is not authentic because other places serve like fried chickens and yeah. also like curry. I said, that is the newer generations of traditionals. They are also traditional, ah. but they are newer versions because in Malaysia, originally it was served like that and it was wrapped in a triangle with a banana leaves or a newspaper. Yeah. It's like a newspaper and a banana leaves and a wrapped in triangles and then you pay them like a dollar or two to get, and then you, some people would buy two. Like when I was in Malaysia, I could eat two bags of that. Yeah. And it's so little, but those are convenient for the people who work by the Pierce area. They just want to grab food and right. eat. And uh, even though it's cold, it's still very flavorful and because it's, the rice was cooked with coconut. Traditionally like a worker's breakfast, right? No, that's not... In Malaysia, there's no such thing as breakfast. Like, ah. But yes, okay. like in, in the morning, like people, they start to work very early and that was the things that already done. And uh, then you I know, see. it feels like, oh, you open up your flavors already and then it could stay for the whole day. Okay. Um, yeah. So this is how the, and then, and then eventually some people was like, oh, like I, I, I don't think like I want to eat like two bags of rice every day. So I want to add a little bit. So later then when people open places, they call the nasi kandar, which is very similar, but nasi kandar serve white rice. 
Okay. So some, but they also do nasi lemak as well. So you can ask for coconut rice. And then they also have like summer stuff that's in like, uh, you know, you can pick your own vegetables, pick your own food. And then uh, they realize a lot of people, they want, some people, they want more curry. Some people, they want like more of the, the fried chicken. And it become yeah. a thing already. And people think that this is how the nasi lemak is supposed to be. But the very, very original one is just a simple one. Just egg, cucumbers, anchovies, peanuts, and uh, the sambal. That's it. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Um, all right. You started out as a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. There's, there's kopi in the name. Uh, I just had an amazing coffee. And I noticed that uh, when the coffee is being made, it's sort of like the pulled coffee or like pulled tea method. I've seen this in a lot of places. Uh, Leslie over there and I just got back from Morocco. Mm. And when we'd have the mint tea, they would do that. Is there something scientific to that or is it just a cool aesthetic? No, that's very specific. Because this knowledge was, was, was you know, like Malaysia, to be specific, because the, um, it's, it's, it's located in a very, very beautiful location. You know, like we are away from all these typhoons and all this, uh, like monsoon. We don't experience any, 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 anything like that. You know, ah. like tornadoes and everything. Like, you know, Malaysia is a very peaceful country. It's a very peaceful state. We would say like, it's another type of like Honolulu or Hawaii kind of places. You know, yeah. it's so small and you are free from all kind of um, terrible weather, except being human. But um, yeah, um, so... The Pierce area, especially the uh, Penang, uh, Malacca, and Singapore. So all these businessmen around the world comes to Malaysia for 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 trades, right? Yeah. So there's no doubt that Morocco probably they have some you know exchange of knowledge when they do their teas. Like Indians, they do their hand pulled teas too. Okay. Right. So this type of knowledge were you know exchanged when they have it in Malaysia. Like I said, Malaysia is a blend of every things around every countries around them. So this was already done back then when you know um, the teas and the coffee were introduced to Malaysia, and this has to become a thing. So the method is to use a very very hot water, usually over 200 degrees, and when Whoa. you hand pull it. The lifespans of if you go a little bit, I'm a I'm a coffee addict, so uh-huh, yep. the lifespan <laughs> of those very specific drinks. Uh, uh, I mean, the lifespans of the, the the espresso is about 15 seconds. But people will be like, oh, 15 seconds, and then when I drink my my coffee, is my coffee already like die? But even though the the best is to drink like the first 15 seconds, it's like the best. But even after 15 seconds, within three minutes, it's still considered as pretty good okay so some people realize that why that we know when we go to an either of the coffee shops and we have the we have this um we have um sorry no we worries. have um we have this this um what do you call that the um uh coffee or latte it gets sour after like a certain period of time okay it was already over three minutes whoa mm-hmm so, I feel like so I drink a lot of coffee. You're kind of blowing my mind right now. I've never heard this. So yeah, and then um, for the the coffee that we have here, it was uh, freshly ground and then vacuum packed shipped to us within 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 a week. Oh so wow! For ships all the way from Malaysia. So we have the the white and the the black coffee. We shall tell you a little bit more about it. So the coffee, the Malaysian coffee, why is so different with the Vietnamese coffee? Is the Thai coffee because the way that it was roasted is so different. We use fats to roast the coffee, and the fats actually tone down the acidity of the beans. And then it doesn't make it like you try the white coffee. Mm-hmm. It goes very smooth, like a chocolate drink. So you don't even think that it's caffeinated, but it is good caffeinated. People call the white coffee the crack coffee, which I'll tell you another story about <laughs> white coffee. It was invented by mistake. Yeah. Ah. So the fats was, uh, they use the fats like butters or margarines. Depends on every company is used different. So use the butter to to roast the 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 the, the, the bean, so the beans looks a lot shiny and it's rich already, yeah. So like that's how like eventually it comes out like the bulletproof and all that. It's a lot of similarities right there. Ah. So I don't know who comes out who comes out first, but Malaysia has been drinking like the coffee like that for a long, for a long 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 time, yeah. Even like a cup of coffee, some people say, oh I can't have milk. They put the butter like a scoop of butter into the coffee back then. Long time ago, and then you see like the cups. All my I cups didn't and, know that. All my cups and bowls were shipped all the way from Malaysia, 
and um, all my cups and bowls were shipped all the way from Malaysia and you can see like the cups and the saucer why is it the Malaysian cups and saucer is a lot deeper in it yes the cups were the cups and saucer were influenced by the British but the reason that Wyatt Houseway has been made in that way is that you know like when you over pour the coffee they will put like the sugars they will melt the sugars on the plate and then they pour it back then to the tea and then you can drink it from the plate whoa mm-hmm. this is the origin like the back then you see oh it looks like messy but this is how the old people have been drinking like that though they don't want to waste every single sip so you don't even know like when people say oh like I want a coffee with sugar nobody add a sugar for you like uh, they would be like oh so how many sugar is it like two spoons of sugar so they just put two spoons like just right next to your cups on the saucer and then pe- like the old people would be like pour it over pour the the, the, the the coffee out and then like melt stir it and then throw it back in there and then start drinking alright this is a good segue for this question because you're mentioning ingredients mm-hmm. um, I'm an outsider right mm-hmm. so I can go into a Malaysian place and be like, damn, this is so good, right? Like, but again, like in Indonesia, I'm a bule. In Borneo, it's orang pute, right? Like you, you're a guy from America. What do you know? Uh, New Yorkers are quite harsh, right? Mm-hmm. And you go on, you see, sometimes I'll like see a Yelp review for a place, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a place I like. So let's just, for the sake of argument, say it's a Malaysian place. But then someone from Malaysia will get on there and be like, this is crap. This isn't like what we have back home. The ingredients aren't the same. Mm-hmm. How important is it to you to like get it right for those type of people to like have it be really authentic to what folks would be having back home? Or do you think like, nah, I, just, I, I do my own thing? No, it's like, you know, I always, I always tell my staff or I, I, I joke with my business partner about it. I say like, we nonias, we have personality. We don't have attitudes. If okay. you think that's attitude, <laughs> you take it negatively. So uh-huh. it's just like, you know, same thing. Like, you know, back then, you know, you, you, your grandmother start cooking in the kitchen. You start questioning, what is this? I don't like this. I don't like that. She will probably will tell you that just eat, don't ask. If you don't eat, just go walk away. This is how it is. You know, it's not in a rude way, but it's a way to, to kind of like teach the kids to, to appreciate how he was you know you can choose not to like everyone has the different flavors but this is the way I like it and mm. this is the way I, I I serve it to you this is I don't know how do you claim for authenticity even though like even though people say oh how do you claim authentic well people could say authentic but to me authentic is something that you your your palate tell you that is a plate is is a taste that you grown up with a taste that you are familiar with authentic city do not have a definite definitions but it was defined by your palate is defined and it was formed by your memory and you know maybe your palate or memory recognize this is what i call authentic city i love so that the, yeah so, you know, like people could say that they're authentic and some people eat it. Oh, this is not what I ate. Just because it didn't, you didn't, it, it was not cooked in a way that you grown up with. But this is a taste that I grown up with. So I see, back then I see a lot of people were saying like uh, the, the reviews about like certain things. I, I laugh it off or, you know, I take, I take advices. I do take advices. As in like if the advice is, is strictly about the food I, and then I would explain that. People say, oh, this is not authentic because there's no protein, there's no fried chicken, it's a nasalama. We explained it to them because this is the way I grown up with. You can say that it is not what you have, but you know I like that so yeah and then there are people who are saying also like uh, you know for example I have one this girl come in and they say she said oh like Milo is not even from Malaysia it's from Australia and she's like half Malaysian <laughs> half Australian and then I thought it was funny but so I was we, we explained to her do you well, have that here? yeah Whoa. You must have. Yeah, yeah. I grew up with Milo. <laughs> it, it's chocolate milk, basically, if people don't oh, know. Yeah, and then I was telling my fiance yesterday, you thought it was co- even chocolate. <laughs> no, this gives you protein. <laughs> and then she's like, she's like, oh, really? I said, it's very addictive. You know, like, I drink Milo. I don't drink, like, when I was a kid, you know, like, it, in, in, my, in, my, in my bottle, it's always filled with Milo. Uh-huh. Every time the kid, you know, you should drink just Milo. Wow. You know, it's a big thing. So, yes. Milo was invented in Australia, but Malaysians are the the biggest consumers. So eventually, they moved the headquarters to Malaysia. Oh, whoa! So if anyone who claims that again, we will say that okay, go look back the Malaysia the, the history. We didn't say that Milo was invented in Malaysia. It's just that it become a thing. Like Cadbury, it yeah. was not originally from Malaysia, but it has like Cadbury is, is the huge. Is uh-huh. is the we are the Malaysia are the. The, the, the biggest consumer is Cadbury 
Wow. Yeah. All right. Also on that New York point, uh, New York's a hard place. I mean, like uh, restaurants get popular, um, go through like hot streaks, but New Yorkers are fickle, right? Like Mm -hmm. one minute they like something, the next minute they don't. They follow trends. You've had incredible success. Uh, Eater Chef of the Year Award, James Beard semifinalist, like amazing accomplishments. Thank you. How do you keep that going? Do you feel like you have to constantly innovate, constantly change up the menu? Like, how do you maintain longevity in New York? No, um, well, maybe it's very different from my perspective. Like I said, I was not a chef chef. Uh Uh-huh. You know, like I was, I didn't go to culinary school, so probably my dimensions is a little bit different. It's more like when I first opened the first Kopitiam, it's more like I just want to open up a little corner to myself and talk to some people out of nowhere. You know, like you know, just like you know. So I like the little small area I used to have. Is when they have four stools by the bar, uh-huh. and I mean, um, and and people they some of them were like famous, and you know. That we have actors and uh, like uh, like famous designers actually comes to to the stores and start eating and they start telling me about their stories and, you know like they they are happy with the money but they're not happy with their job something like that you know uh, yeah so every customers I you know I we had a conversations about it but it's like I feel like you know even though you can ask anyone regardless if they are Malaysians or anyone so you try to think about the happiest moment you had. It's actually when you're little, having your comfort food mm-hmm. at home with someone that you're close to. So this is the thing that I feel like when I come to the city, because I came here alone by myself and I came here for asylum too. Um, gay is not, not acceptable in Malaysia. It was totally illegal. And when I come here after a long period of time, I, on, my family were running restaurants for generations and uh, started Kopi Tiam and turned to a restaurant um, you know, my dad turned to restaurants, and I, growing up, I was not raised to be proud of it, even though they were famous. I mean, my dad is an incredible chef, my mom too. Um, but they were, they were. It's okay. I, uh, so what happened was, uh, yeah. So it bec- it makes me feel like you know, like um, in in a coffee shop in Malay. In the in, in the in the in the coffee shops in Malaysia, it's more like it's very different from the coffee shops in New York. For instance, like there are the coffee shops that buy your house, you go there every day. But once you move out from that area, you go to another coffee shop, right? So you won't come back all the way up to one same coffee shop. Mm-hmm. But in Malaysia, it's different, especially Penang. You could say that maybe because Penang is a very small island, everything is so reachable within like you know one hour. But a place that I would go to a coffee house for, for for years. Like my my, um, there's one coffee shop that there's one Kopi Tiams that we went. My dad has been there since he was like 30. So wow. when I was there, the guy was already like 75. <laughs> so, wow. So I was like, oh, so it's like you unconsciously built a relationship with this person. And then this the person know everything about your family, know everything, similar things about you. It becomes so personal right now that you just feel like, oh, you don't really have to do anything. So I feel like this is something that New York City has been lacking of, but it still can be seen in some of the like, family-owned businesses. Like you just go there, sit down, you don't really talk, mm. but people will know, oh, what do you want? And just give it to you, you know? It's like, you know, you, have, you probably have like the worst day ever, but every time you come back, there's this little corner before you go back to your house and restart, refresh. This is a place that you refresh. It's a community restart. aspect almost, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good point. Yeah, New York is missing that. <laughs> so when I, do, when, I do, when I decided to open coffee shop, of course, it's also because of like a conversation. There are actually three things that makes me feel like I want to do that. Like I said, I was not born to be proud of whatever my parents do because my parents always want me to be the white collar. And I, I, I grew up, try very hard trying to be the ideal me. But mm. I spent so much years, so many years to realize that the actual me is very simple. Yeah. So um, one thing is that I was reading these articles, uh, a fashion blogger turns to be a food editor because um, she's half Korean, half white. And then eventually her mom like had the uh, cancer 
and then she passed away within six months. She wow. was trying to, she said that growing up, she do not embrace the Korean culture because in, at home, her mom would make three types of breakfast every day. One is the food that she likes and then uh, her father is, uh, is, is, is white American and then would make like the, um, you know, American breakfast and also a Korean breakfast for her mom herself. And then if she brings any Korean foods or any weird foods, her friends will laugh at her when she grown up. And she say, uh, until her mom passed away, she trying to make the same kimchi like her mother did. She spent almost two years. It's close enough, but not exactly the same taste ever. Wow. And I was so scared of that, seriously, because I growing up, I started to think about like um, the food that I had when I was little with my, the only best things that I could actually, you know, because my growing up, I mean, process is very different for any other people. Um, I do not live um, together with my parents for a very long time. Wow. Yeah, I was raised by my grandmother and I moved with my parents for another five years. And okay. I moved out again when I was like, you know, because of a lot of like the beliefs and religions wise and all that. But it's now that I look back, it's, it's not totally bad. You know, like it was, I was raised very independently because I has a, they have a lot of expectations on me because I was the, the oldest in the family. And uh, the more that I cook, about like certain dishes, I, I feel like I understand more about my father. I understand a little bit more about my mother. I understand a lot more about my aunts, my grandmother. They are very, every dishes that I serve here has a little story between me and my family too, and how I like this and then why is it like that. It's just, it's just very personal. Like you can choose not to like it, it's fine. I like it anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that you cannot please everyone. I, I accept that, you know, I think that people maybe forgot how to be more acceptable as in like, to un- or to understand that people are different. Yeah. You know, it's okay to stay different, you know. And I think it, like, I think growing up, I am very different and I try to be the same. I see. It's actually, now that I realize that it's actually not to be, you know, it's not, it's not a bad thing to be different. You mentioned like your asylum status Mm -hmm. and I had some questions in here. I wasn't sure if you'd be comfortable with me asking, um, but were you like under any direct threat? Like had you experienced, um, you know, negativity because of just who you are and your identity in Malaysia? Yeah, in Malaysia, well, Penang, we already like, I have three younger siblings and the other two were all gay too. <laughs> okay. So I was laughing, my, I was like, I was joking with my mother, I was like, yeah, maybe dad is gay inside of him. <laughs> or maybe because we're so near to Thailand and then the wind just blows <laughs> and then we're halfway there. Or maybe because you were not focused when you ha- when you were making us, you were not right. <laughs> and then I made a little bit like, a little, like, you know, that is how, you know, we're able to talk about it. Yeah. But, um, yes. When people, uh, they don't understand about, I, I, I had a lot of confusions in myself too. I, when I was a little kid, I feel like, I, I feel like there's like a man, tra- I, or maybe I feel like I was a little boy, but it's not like I fully feel like I'm a little boy, you know? Like I just feel like, I, I know that I like girls, but my only understanding is that only boys can like girls. Right. So I thought that there was a little boy in me. Wow. Yeah. And my mom doesn't really like understand that. Like she doesn't, understand why I want to act in that way but you know she could understand at least like I'm a little bit tougher because nonias most nonias are very tough and then when I grown up I had my first relationship when I was 13 <laughs> and then and then um it was funny that you don't know what to do kind of yeah, yeah. my dad was trying to be a little bit open up and he doesn't know how to and he's just you know, and he was like, fine, like you don't get pregnant, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at least he's not worried about that. So my dad is, you know, he had, he, he was, he was British educated. So he's thinking it's more westernized. I see. Is, you know, and in my family, my, my, uh, like I guess I don't really have much of the accent because my family is <laughs> English and, and yeah, like the, uh, uh, my mom don't really understand that, you know, because she's from like very strict families. And even though that like, she knows like these things, you know, it's always in denial. And um, in school, yeah. Uh, sometimes, you know, when you are with the boys, you feel like very comfortable. But some people will be like, you know, like kids, you know, like when you are people, when you open up about yourself that you say like, oh, actually I feel like I like girls. And then all the girls, most of the girls will be like, 
scared. And it's like, oh, like when you're close to me, like I, like you like me or or in like like romantically like me. I was in the I was the first batch that joined the national service, and then it was more Whoa. obvious to me. It was not. It was more obvious to me when I was in that national service because uh, you know, like when we probably like took showers or anything like that, it was like openly in a camp. And then people will be like, oh, like, like, do I, like, when I look at you, I just, I don't feel anything. But people will be like, oh, like, it's like, is it pervertly? Right. I understand. Know, it's very different. Yeah. And then um, I was, I experienced one time that I was, I got slapped in the face because people think that I had um, bad influence on my friends. Oh. Yeah. Like, even my own mother, same thing. She thinks that my siblings being gay was because of me. Wow. Mm. They must be immensely proud of you right now. Huh? They must be immensely proud of you, though, for what you've been able to accomplish. I mean, you've, you, you have tons of positive press. Like, you're in the New York Times. It's insane. Thank you. But actually, they didn't know much about it. <laughs> Still? I didn't share much. Oh. Yeah, it's like, I didn't really like, say, hey, mom, you know how much like, but I do... I had a very, very deep conversation with my mom a couple of days ago. I think last week, I had a very deep conversation, even about my sexuality too. I came out to my mom when I was 29. But, you know, it's, it's more like we spoke about it, but we don't really... It's at the point where we don't really have to talk, talk openly. I understand. And then it's still at the point, you know? And then she knows that I have a fiancé, and we're getting married. Oh, and, hey, congrats. And then, thank you. And then... Um, and she would be like oh you know it just makes no sense like how are you uh, like she's so pretty you know like uh why why what she likes in you i say mom like i have nothing <laughs> like what do you think so it's like she's she's concerned that if in the future that my fiance would you know break up with me and then uh-huh. maybe choose to marry a man and then i'll be single again i say this is life you know right but i you know we feel like we are the right one. That's why we want to get married. You know, like you don't have to understand. You don't have to like her. All right. You just have to accept who I was. But, you know, it still takes time. It's a very deep conversation with her. But eventually I found out why. Because she wants grandchildren. Oh. <laughs> oh. Well, that's still possible. I say, I am. I'm the worry about that. Okay. <laughs> it's completely fine. But, you know, she's probably thinking too much about it. Your so. parents are still in Malaysia? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I said, think about it. I said, if I, my mother actually has a conversation saying um, she she said that she'd rather me being single for life than me being gay. Wow. I said, Mom, put it in that way. So now, now I'm 33, right? Hey, me too. You're an 86 baby? Yeah. Hey, me too. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, so 33. And I could possibly saying that oh, if I'm very healthy, I could stay up to 40, 50 years, right? And then I say, half of your friends, maybe most of them already gone by then. Yeah. Why do I care? I say, maybe they already gone. Then, then I'll be another, I will be so sad for another 30 years for the remaining of my life. For what? And my mom just keep quiet. I say, see, think about it. She say, oh, but if you get married, you have kids. And then, but I'm still going to be unhappy anyway. So for why? For what reason? And then it's like, you know, until when I'm like, so, like, you know, you, you watch the, I don't know if you watch the album. And like, some people, they came out like when they were like 70 years ago after they get married and have kids. And then... Make your children to understand that why you are gay and still married to their father. Mm. You know, that's another sad story. So I don't want to end up like that, though. I had someone on the podcast named uh, Gabrielle Lenart, mm-hmm. and she uh, runs a project called This Queer Kitchen. Mm-hmm. And something I had never thought about before speaking with her. We, we could take a break if you need to talk oh, no, to no, someone. No, 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 no. Okay. Something I hadn't thought about before talking to her was uh, inclusion of folks in uh, restaurants and in kitchens. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, something I learned from like reading Bourdain's books is that like there's a uh, real like masculine energy in kitchens and things like that. H- had you thought at all about uh, your restaurant also as like a, a space uh, and a safe space for both like customers and employees who might be on the LGBTQ spectrum? Oh yeah, I mean we uh, also um, yeah I think well you know in our story yes it's like you know uh, like you can, you can I don't know if you realize in our bathroom there's no men and women signs right there I didn't say no it's saying okay. whatever and human okay cool <laughs> and then you can hear you can be wherever you want to be and even though for our employees too we embrace every single like you know 
just like you know, everyone have their own characters, and we love all of them. Uh, for the kids out there too, and a lot of them were actually gay. And then they also have uh, some of them are uh, their first jobs, and you know, like they 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 and some of them might not be their first job, then share the experiences as in like. Uh, for the one who, who, for those who were their first jobs, they were panicking about like you know because are they comp like you know were they being treated in the same way uh, if they were gay or anything like that and um, or and then also like people that that already have experience in other work they, they find very comfortable right here because you can be whoever you want to be right, right here. And and then they, they find it very different because when they were at a, a job, you know, they, they can be so sarcastic and bitchy. And yeah. Not not saying like sarcastic and bitchy, just like like between friends and all that. You just be yourself, you know, like like here I, I even though for people in the kitchen we're same thing. It's like we don't care about. It's not just LGBTQ, but people in all age. And say so you guys, you know, everyone have their own issues. I understand. And then as long as you, you know, you come here and then just just be yourself. And then you do the you do the jobs as I want it. I don't care about how. I'm, I mean, that's how everything should be, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's like I don't question much, and then or you have to do it exactly like I do. But yes. Cool. All right, I got two more for you, and then I'm going to eat because okay. I'm excited. Uh, all right, so what's next, right? So you've got a popular restaurant. Do you continue growing this one? Do you want to open up a new place? Do you think that far ahead, or are you just like living day by day? A little bit of both. Okay. A little bit of both. Yes, we have a lot of things in 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 mind. Um, I already have, <laughs> like I said, um, you know. I wanted to be a, a, a business a, a business entrepreneur um, back then, but I didn't really thought that it would become. I, I, I never thought a restaurant would be my actual one. Mm. Until, like I said, you know the things that I have experienced, and also I was saying that because three things: um, the the blogger with her mother's stories inspired me, and also the conversation with my mother about a place that I've gone for so many years closed down because the 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 old man passed away. No one is actually doing whatever that he's doing, and in Mal in Penang, they are the only one that are doing that, and uh, he's gone. There's no. The, the, the kids were engineers and no one wants to continue what the father was doing and another story is that because my dad he was um, experiencing um, he, he, he had a depression back then I almost lost him but now he's okay but when he talk about food that makes him that brighten up again and I thought that maybe I could do something that you know the more that I do then I start to realize that oh I understand that why he doesn't want to be a, uh, a big businessman that work in a corporate because foods actually do connect people it's not just about to it's not just connected to your to, to people that you don't know but also connect your the bonding between you and your family we would say something stupid against another person without even thinking hmm. True food, you can't mess it. You can't mess up the love between it. You know, I love my mom, but I never really hug her or hold her hand. But the most people relationship that I have with my mom is that standing next to her, making things together with her. And, oh, that's amazing. But you know that you love each other, that that, that kind. So same thing when it comes to like when it comes to kopitiams, and I started to realize that there are a lot of possibilities that I can actually do. You know, New York is a place that when people say you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere else. I wouldn't want to like yes, being aggressive is another thing. Being very ambitious is another thing. But I just want to make sure that if the base is good, you know, I'm happy with what I have. But I'm so I'm also open up to a lot of opportunities and and and. and and you know, and a lot of <laughs> other things that comes up. I my my main goal is to share what I have to everyone. That's awesome. So yeah, so that that is what that's what I think. Yeah. Okay. I, if if there's another another there are people people actually ask me if if there's another restaurants that open up like some things they do like the similar things like Kopi Tiam. And, um, yeah, if, and it, 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 super nice. <laughs> are you okay? I, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I have a rule. Huh? The, I have a rule when I'm with my friends, and, and I'll just keep this rolling. Um, there's no phones at tables ever. Oh, okay. Even traveling, it's just like put it down. <laughs> um, 
All right, I'll ask you the last one. Oh, um, yeah, I was I was gonna say sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I was saying that like for for people people ask me is that if if there's ever any other restaurants that comes out like Kopitiams and then do like the similar kind, would I be like so intermediate? I think that as a competition. Well, I think that competition is good, but I don't see it in that way. But I see that I see that as is is another, you know, like because Malaysian food is so under recognition, right? So if there's another Malaysian food that if if there's another Malaysian food that comes out, I feel like you know like more people will know more about Malaysian food, and then it will be like it will be like my other place to hang out to. You know, mm. like I just cannot. It's like oh, the only place that that I could do like my home food is like my store. <laughs> you know, like yeah. So I'll be happy if like more Malaysian foods like come out, and then I'll be like hey, you know, like neighbors. You know, like oh, you that's know, cool. It's different. It's not like oh, you're worried about. I mean. People comes, customers come, customers goes. You know, like people like to do whatever they want to do. It just, yeah. So if I can share, like, you know, my home food with more people, I'll be happy. You know, in that, that's what like my main, my main goal is. You know, like, yeah, there are so many other possible projects that we can actually do, but my main thing is to be able to share, and then you don't feel like this is too commercial about it. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm about to order, right? I know things like nasi lemak. I know satay. I know oyster omelets, kaya toast you mentioned. What is something that I need to order that like maybe is a little more off the beaten path for somebody who knows like basic Malaysian things? Mm, well, I would say everything's right here, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, of course, like the kaya butter toast, the soft boiled eggs is like the must things. And then like the nasi, our nasi lemak, definitely very different from... Okay from anyone that you can find it in New York here. Um, I can guarantee that it won't disappoint you. Okay. <laughs> and, then, and then we have a Balachan chicken wings that was um, my dad's invention. And then he was the first man who in Malaysia started that. Marinated the chicken with the, the shrimp paste. <laughs> mm. And then um, we have ota ota. Really? Yeah. You know ota ota, I right? do, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Probably the only place that has it. And then in New York, yeah, whoa, freshly made, yes. And then, um, so yeah, and then um, the pulu panggang we have it too. Oh, okay. <laughs> the one, the big one. But I did it in my own version. The one that you had in Malaysia is far short. The one that I had is like long. And then um, I I made a new things for a vegan. Uh, it's oh, called wow. shroom. Uh, that one is like the mushroom soy, but you don't when you bite it, you don't really feel like it was a mushroom. It's like a soya piece. And then was salted with the earwood mushrooms and uh, chili curry leaves and also is and then also with the shredded coconut. And given on the taste, and you think that it was vegetarian, awesome. because I like meat. <laughs> and then like, sometimes like the the veg- vegetarian things that I don't really understand, but I like something that makes me feel like oh I don't know if it was vegetables. Oh, we have pan meat too, the handmade. Noodles. I don't know. Oh yeah, like hand pulled noodles. Oh, like yeah, yeah. the you had it in KL maybe. Um, maybe. I've actually also had it <laughs> in Queens. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Queens. But Queens was this long. I yeah, think, yeah, no. very long. Yeah, not the pieces. My one is like the traditional one, like with the hand. Oh, cool. Pieces. And the oyster omelet, yeah. All right. So. But the oyster omelet, I don't think that you ever. If you are in KL, you're not gonna have a good oyster omelet. But yes, uh, Singapore more is where I had like a really good one, but okay, yeah, awesome. Um, all right, we're gonna order. But listen, this was amazing. I hope like in a year when you have even more successes, we could do this again and you'll have more stories. Uh, I get inspired by people who do different things than me and are creative and successful. So uh, hopefully, this inspires people as well. All right, thank you so much. Cheers. Okay. All right, Voyagers, that is a wrap on episode number 121 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Please go to the show notes for this episode to find out the social media and just the regular website for Kopi TM and for following Kyo. Thank you to her. Um, thank you to the restaurant for hosting us. I know there was a lot of background noise, folks. I know. Um, but... You know, I don't have a studio, and I also just think sometimes it's kind of cool to put you in the place that I'm in, and you can sort of experience that, um, you know, through your headphones. 
here's a little request though, and it's not for the podcast, but people, if you're out eating, put your goddamn phone down. You don't need to make a phone call while you eat. You don't need to be texting people while you eat. I get it. You want to take a picture or whatever. Yeah, that's, that's cool. But please put it down. It's something that I was thinking about a lot when we were in Morocco. I mean, I was thinking of this one hostel we were in. And in the common area, there was a group of friends who were traveling together. And they would chill there for hours on their phones, not talking to each other. And I saw this too. Like I had a, a song from um, a street performer that we saw in Lisbon. That was on the last episode, 120. And while we were sitting there watching him, all these people were walking by, glued to their phones, didn't even look up, didn't even notice him. It was like they were living in a, in a different reality where he didn't exist. So I say that to say at one point in this episode, there was someone really loud on their phone. And, you know, yeah, I'm not going to tell a customer in a restaurant that I don't own to please be quiet. But just like for, for the sake of, the enjoy, of enjoying the meal and for the company that you're with, put your phone down. It will be there when you come back. All right, that's just a bit of an aside. Go to the show notes, check it out. Check out my Patreon account as well. Thank you, Voyagers, for listening as always. Thank you for supporting the podcast. And please take care of each other. Until next time.